Hello, Metro Augusta. This is Janice Allen Jackson. Welcome you to the November 9th edition of Local Matters, a show designed to make you a more confident voter and a more engaged citizen. Today's show is brought to you as a service of Janice Allen Jackson and Associates, which is my management consulting firm. We proudly provide services to local government and nonprofit organizations. And you can learn more about the firm by visiting our website, which is JaniceAllenJackson.Weebly.com. Of course, this is our radio version, which appears on WKZK on Wednesday afternoons at 1.30 and on Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. But there is also a podcast version that you can listen to anytime you want to. You can go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or SoundCloud to find the Local Matters Podcast of Georgia. You can also go to the Facebook page of Local Matters Podcast of Georgia, where all of the episodes are posted. You can listen and share those episodes, and they're also on my website where there is a Local Matters tab. Today is our election analysis episode. You know, I love to do these and I get good feedback from them. So we're going to cover uh, the results of the election from November 8th. But before we do that, I want to talk about two upcoming events. Uh, one of those is on November 15th and it will take place at 9.30 a.m. at the Lucy Craft Laney Museum of Black History. This comes about as a result of some funding through the Allen and Janet Roberts Memorial Fund and uh, Augusta University. This is an opportunity to hear an expert panel discuss what it takes to build trust in healthcare services. We know that people of color typically have a lack of trust with the healthcare uh, business, healthcare providers, the industry in general, because of a lot of things that have happened in the past. So this panel is going to have some good discussion about what it takes to get over the hump. So please, if you want more information, please contact the Lucy Craft Lightning Museum of Black History. Um, they would uh, prefer that you RSVP, so please reach out to the museum, 706-724-3576 to register for that event, again, November 15th, 9.30 a.m. to 11 a.m. The second upcoming event I wanted to make you aware of is another candidate forum. Uh, you all will recall that State Representative Wayne Howard passed away last month. And there will be a special election on December 20th to fill that seat. Uh, there are four candidates who have uh, qualified to run for State House District 129. And the Greater Augustus Interfaith Coalition will hold a virtual candidate forum on Thursday, December 1st. It is 7 p.m. and it will be featured live on their Facebook page. And I will have uh, the opportunity to participate with that candidate forum. 
as well. You might imagine we're going to bring in those candidates. We've already invited them to come in to Local Matters so uh, our listeners get a chance to hear from them. As we talk about the coverage um, of yesterday's elections, um, the first thing that came to my mind is the key factor related to name recognition. Each one of the school board incumbents who uh, emerged as the leading vote getters have been on the ballot several times before. Uh, they've spent a great deal of time in the public eye, and I think that ben benefited them to a tremendous extent because they were running against political newcomers. Um, first, we'll look at District 9. Uh, that's a super district. It includes Districts 1, 2, 4, and 5. Miss um, Venus Kane has represented that district uh, for a number of years, I think 15 or 16 years. Uh, she uh, won all 32 precincts that are in Super District 9. Um, I was not surprised by the fact that she won, but I do think I was a little surprised by the fact that she won with 70% of the vote, uh, which is a mandate. Um, she's well-established in the community. Um, she uh, also, uh, as I talked about, benefited from the incumbency. I think I can recall one time since I've been back to Augusta, I moved back in 2014, where there was a challenger who unseated a sitting school board member, and that was when Dr. Wayne Frazier won. Miss uh, Kane is very well known. Uh, she's been on the ballot every four years since 2006. Um, and uh, in all of her public conversations, she painted a very optimistic picture of our school system. Her challenger, Mr. Mullins, um, came across as if somebody, you know, as he was somebody who was sincerely concerned about uh, our schools and what happens in the schools. But it also maybe came across that he wasn't quite up to the task. Um, I looked, for instance, at some of the news coverage of him, and most of it referred to him as a school system bus driver. I then checked the Secretary of State's website where it shows qualifying candidates. I want to see how he listed himself. And at that point, he listed his occupation as a manager. So I think just maybe some perception issues there with him being characterized as a bus driver. He did do that, I think, for a short time. Um, but that, you know, certainly has not been the totality of his career. Um, but I think that may have worked against him. Um, if we look at Ms. Kane's history as a candidate, uh, as I said, this time around, she got 70% of the vote. There was a 48% turnout. So slightly less than half of the registered voters in District 9 actually voted in this race. Um, last time around, she got 55% of the vote in 2018 against uh, former educator Ricky Lumpkin. Uh, in 2014, she got 72% of the vote against James Swanigan. Uh, and in 2010, she got 52% of the vote against Shirley Darby. Uh, and she actually initially won the seat in 2006 in a runoff against um, A.K. Hassan, who was, in fact, an incumbent at that time. So uh, she was successful in beating an incumbent back in 06 and uh, has won uh, by varying margins in 
every election since that time. Shifting gears and going over to District 2. Uh, in that race, we had the only three-person race for a school board seat. And uh, that seat is going to a runoff. Uh, Charlie Hanna is the incumbent and school board president. And he has also been on every ballot since 2010. And most recently, just this year, he was on the ballot in the mayoral race. So he has been consistently building name recognition by being on the ballot so often. Uh, I will say that during the runoff, depending upon whether the Georgia Senate race um, to rep represent Georgia in the U.S. Congress, if that race goes to a runoff as it appears it might, and I will tell you at the time I'm recording this, the race hasn't yet been decided, um, but if that goes to a runoff, that will build a turnout. Um, if that does not go to a runoff, and the only reason that the voters in District 2 uh, have to go to the polls is to vote in the school board race, that, that turnout could be very, very low. I would think it could be 10% or less. So um, we'll see what happens. I will say that this election proves that every vote indeed counts because if Mr. Hanna had received 26 more votes, there wouldn't be a runoff on December 6th. So um, Reverend Fryer, Reverend Larry Fryer came in uh, with 34, shade under 34% of the vote and got just enough to make the runoff. Um, Mr. Hanna actually won every precinct in District 2, although Reverend Fryer came pretty close to him in Precinct 203, uh, which votes at the Mount Calvary Baptist Church. And he did pretty well in Precinct 207, which votes at the Karen Mays Recreation Center. Um, I had been told that one of our local news outlets actually endorsed the third candidate in the race, who was Mrs. Mrs. Yetta Knight. Uh, and honestly, I expected her to do a little bit better in this race. Um, her campaign team seemed uh, very enthusiastic. They were very supportive of her. Anytime she made public appearances, they were in the audience with T-shirts. And even at times where she may not have been able to attend because of illness, they still came to represent her. Uh, so I was a little that she was able, only able to get about 16.5% of the vote. But again, name recognition was the name of the game. Um, Mr. Hamlet has been on the ballot before, as we talked, and Reverend Fryer has been active in the community for several decades. Uh, he's been doing various volunteer efforts. He's been uh, an educator. He's also obviously in the ministry. So all those things worked in his favor and in his ability to get to a runoff. I will note, in the case of Mr. Hanna, as I looked at the uh, statistics in every election since 2014, when he first won, his percentage of the vote has steadily gone down. 2014, he got 79% of the vote. 2018, he got 59% of the vote. And now here in 2022, he got 49.5% and is going to have to go into a runoff. So uh, we'll be uh, eagerly watching this to see how our current school board president fares in that runoff election. Uh, next, District 7, uh, not so much surprised by the fact that the 
incumbent Charlie Walker Jr. won the race. I was fully expecting that. I am surprised because the race was much closer than I had anticipated. Uh, he won by 455 votes. Um, there was a turnout of almost 60% in District 7 for this race. And quite frankly, I expected his margin of victory to be a little bit larger. Uh, when I really got down and looked precinct by precinct in District 7, I saw that Miss Brittany brought water as the political newcomer was close in precinct 702 and 707 and 709. And she actually won uh, precinct 701, which votes at Aldersgate United Methodist Church. 706, which votes at Warren Road Community Center, and 708, which votes at St. Mark's United Methodist Church. Walker had large margins of victory in those precincts that he did win, uh, which were 703, which votes at National Hills Baptist Church, 704, which votes at First Baptist Church, and 705, um, St. Augustine's Episcopal Chapel, and 709, which also votes at National Hills. So uh, where he did well, he did really well. Uh, I noticed that both of these candidates were rather effective in their use of social media. Miss um, Broadwater uh, communicated very directly, forcefully, and passionately. Um, she would use uh, facts, statistics, et cetera, in all of her public presentations as she discussed the weaknesses of the current school system. Um, he, on the other hand, Mr. Walker, uh, our incumbent um, vice president, I believe, of the school board, um, placed a lot of the responsibility for student performance with the parents. Um, that was very popular with some people and very unpopular with others. Um, but in his district, which is a very conservative district, I would assume that that message probably resonated very well and was very consistent with um, the thinking of many of the folks that live in that district. Um, I would also note that uh, the incumbent, Mr. Walker, won last time in 2018 with a percentage of 63.2%. Uh, this time around, that dropped to 52.6%. So his proportion of the total votes cast uh, was significantly lower. Uh, also, the turnout in District 7 was slightly lower than it was in 2018. Back then, the turnout was a little over 61%. This time, it was a little under 60%, but still a, a good turnout. In fact, I think the highest uh, of any of the other districts. Um, as I think about the school board races, um, in a nutshell, the messaging from the challengers was that the school system has serious problems that should be immediately addressed. While on the other hand, the messaging from the incumbents is that they have done some positive things over the last several years. Uh, the messaging was that the board works well together and that the numbers or those statistics don't tell the full story about the performance of the school system. So at this point, uh, we see that in two of the races, the voters seem to be supportive of the messaging from the incumbents. And we have one uh, where the jury is still allowed. We'll find out on December 6th uh, what the perception is in District 2 as to the true status of where we are with our schools and whether some, some changes are necessary. 
Now, let's switch over to the race, uh, special election for Richmond County Tax Commissioner, uh, Chris Johnson, the incumbent who was sworn in, I think, back in March, uh, has been uh, deputy tax commissioner prior to that. Um, he um, won going away, uh, got almost 72% of the vote, uh, which is, uh, in political terms, considered a mandate. I think as I talked to people leading into this, I think I talked to one person who was expecting uh, Chris Johnson to win outright. Um, I personally was expecting that he would have to go into a runoff with Veronica Freeman Brown uh, and that he would emerge as the victor from that runoff. Turned out wasn't necessary at all. Ms. Freeman Brown was the second leading vote getter. She got almost 22% of the vote. Sanford Lloyd got 6.5% of the vote. Um, I had expected a higher total actually from Mr. Lloyd based upon uh, the first time he ran for tax commissioner. I think that was probably back in 2008. At that point, he got, I think, about 28, 29%. So his percentage was significantly lower this time around. Um, and um, Mr. Johnson cruised to a, a very easy victory here. Um, as I look at the reasons for that, uh, first I'll tell you why I was a little surprised. I saw Miss uh, Brown work really hard. She was extremely active on social media. She was out at various community events. Um, she just seemed to be really, really working this. And obviously she also enjoyed strong support from uh, the sheriff uh, that she currently works for. So I had thought that, you know, with that influence, his influence, as well as uh, the effort she was putting out there, as well as the fact that I heard several people say that they were interested in voting for her because she is a woman. Um, I just thought that she would, she would poll a little bit better, but um, um, she ran a great race. Uh, Chris Johnson just ran a better one. Uh, it appears that um, his calm demeanor, his professionalism, the fact that he always came across as being extraordinarily knowledgeable, uh, well-seasoned, experienced, uh, reasonable, um, even tempered, you know, all those things really worked in his favor and Congratulations to him for winning uh, with, with that type of percentage as well. Congratulations to uh, Mr. Walker and Ms. Kane for their victories there in the school board races, districts um, seven and nine, respectively. I have a few minutes left. Uh, let's talk about what happened at the state level. Uh, we'll stay away from the Senate race. Hopefully we'll have some additional information and we'll really delve into that next week. Um, let's talk now about uh, the state constitutional officers that were on the ballot. Uh, we saw a Republican sweep there, uh, which again was not surprising. Um, the Probably the person at the state level I thought had the best chance perhaps of winning was going to be uh, William Bodie uh, running for label commissioner uh, turned out not so well for him. Um, I assume because of the way that this happened, most of the folks went into the ballot booth and either decided they were voting Republican or they were voting Democrat. And um, they just voted 
party line. Uh, so it didn't make a whole lot of difference what the candidate said, what their message was, uh, what their history or experience was. People just decided to vote along those party lines. As it relates to the gubernatorial race, um, as you know, as I get prepared for these shows, I just ask people, hey, what do you think is going to happen here? And I have to admit that of all the folks that I talked to, I don't think a single person told me that they expected Stacey Abrams to win the governor's race. Um, there was not the type of enthusiasm for her candidacy this time around. Um, it seemed anticlimactic to a certain degree. Um, and I think the best explanation that I received was from one person who's been a lifelong Democrat. And he said, you know, at the end of the day, Brian Kemp hadn't done a bad job. He's done pretty good. Um, as I delve down into that, I have concluded for myself that Kemp very effectively used the advantage of his incumbency to do things that voters appreciated. Uh, number one, he reduced the gas tax when gas prices went sky high. Uh, he gave pay raises, substantial pay raises to state employees. I think it was about $5,000. He issued income tax rebates. And then there was also the matter of the $350 payments to some families. So uh, he also top of all those things, he benefited from the fact that he was not Donald Trump's guy. So he could say that, yes, he was a conservative Republican, but that he was his own man and that he did the things that he thought were in the best interest of Georgia. Um, business people supported him because, uh, you know, the way he handled the pandemic and reopening earlier than some people thought that maybe it should have. So he got... Um, good support because of, of those things. And I think it was too much for Ms. Abrams to overcome. Uh, last time, I think difference in votes between the two of them was about 54,000. This time around with over 96% of the votes counted, there's a 300,000 vote differential between the two of them. Uh, so Ms. Abrams conceded her defeat pretty early. Looking at the other statewide races, you know, there were several quote unquote down ballot races uh, there. Uh, we'll start with Lieutenant Governor and kind of go on down the line. Uh, Burt Jones, who is not an incumbent, won the Lieutenant Governor's race uh, with 51.49% of the vote. That um, again, 96 0.8% of the votes counted, but it appears uh, that, that he'll cruise on to victory. Brad Raffensperger, the incumbent Secretary of State, uh, winning with 53% of the vote. And of course, he also benefited from the fact that he was not a Trump guy. I think that went over well with many Georgia voters. Um, Attorney General incumbent Chris Carr also won winning with 51.9% of the vote. Uh, Commissioner of Agriculture, uh, there was not an incumbent in that race, uh, but the Republican Tyler Harper is winning with 53% of the vote. Uh, Commissioner of Agriculture, incumbent John King, winning with 54% of the vote. State School Superintendent, incumbent Richard Woods, winning with 54% of the vote. And then Commissioner of Labor, 
um, there was no incumbent in that race, which is why um, many thought that Mr. Bodie, uh, the Democratic candidate, could do well. Uh, but again, uh, Mr. Thompson, Bruce Thompson, is winning with uh, 52.1% of the vote. So it uh, looks like a Republican sweep uh, in the state uh, constitutional offices and um, that affirms Georgia as a red state at the state level. Uh, we will see what happens uh, with the, the, the senatorial race as we move forward. That may very well have to go to a runoff as well, but we'll see when all those votes get counted. Um, also, don't want to forget to highlight the two state representative races uh, that we have featured here on Local Matters. Um, also, state Senate race, we didn't have those candidates in, we just kind of ran out of time, uh, but we had Harold Jones, uh, incumbent Democrat, one-handedly over Andrew Danielson for state Senate District 22, which represents the vast majority of Richmond County. Uh, Mr. Jones uh, easily winning with 70% of the vote. Uh, then we will go to House District 126, uh, where incumbent... Um, Gloria Frazier, Democrat, easily won 78.2% uh, of the vote over William Harris in that race, uh, which is no surprise given that district is highly Democratic. And uh, Ms. Frazier, Representative Frazier, certainly enjoys good name recognition after having been on the ballot multiple times. The last race featured two political newcomers. Uh, State House of Representative District 130, uh, one-handedly by Democrat Lynn Gladney. Uh, Ms. Gladney received 67.3, almost 67.3% of the vote to Dan Swenson's 32.7% of the vote. So again, that's a heavily Democratic district, and that was exactly what was to, to be expected coming out of that. There is one correction that I need to make. Um, John King was actually the incumbent insurance commissioner, uh, and he was successful in that race. I mischaracterized him as commissioner of agriculture. I'm sorry, I'm recording this at four o'clock in the morning, so I'm a little disheveled. Uh, please forgive me for that. Um, as we look at the conclusions that we can draw from these statewide races, we see that the Democratic Party uh, brought on a slate of candidates that were extremely diverse. You had women, you had people of a color. Uh, but at the end of the day, we also see that um, that was not something that Georgia voters wanted. They were not necessarily appreciative of uh, the diversity in terms of ideology or in terms of uh, the race and gender of the candidates who are running. So I think what we will see here at the state level is largely the same Georgia that we have now. Hopefully you all have uh, enjoyed this uh, post-election review. Uh, next week, my guest will be former Augusta Mayor Bob Young. Bob hasn't been with us in a while. Uh, he had said 
um, that I should invite him back after the gubernatorial race this time around. And we would talk about um, the winners, the losers, how and why. And of course, this time we'll have the opportunity to also delve into this senatorial race. So thank you so much for, again, being a part of the Local Matters family. Uh, we wish you well. Uh, we'll see you next week. Blessings. I close with my favorite Bible verse from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This show is designed to contribute to each of those, giving you the power that comes with knowledge, demonstrating love for your local community, and offering you wisdom for decision-making so that you possess a sound mind when it comes to these topics. Please tune in next Wednesday at 1.30 p.m. here on WKZK, 1600 AM, 103.7 FM, and WKZK.net, because local matters.